Hello and welcome to the latest Confectionery News podcast. I'm Anthony Myers. In this episode, I chat with Chris Brown, Olam International's Vice President and Global Head of Environment, about cocoa's future as a sustainable commodity. But first, I asked him about the five priorities he highlighted in the recent blog for World Environmental Day and how these priorities can be adapted into Olam's supply chain. Take a listen. Okay, thanks. Um, The five ways that we're working um, are really helping us to to reimagine uh, the the, the food systems um, and and the supply chains that that we're working in and, and trying to bring those those operations within the the planetary boundaries, but also thinking about how we do that for social. So on a practical level, those five things, I think the the key for me and and the most exciting for me is is how do we account for nature? Um, So really working to understand what what is the cost of our activities? So how are we eroding nature through our actions and all, hopefully, how are we adding a, a positive contribution back into nature? So when, when I look at the programs that Olam is implementing, we're, we're doing lots of fantastic things. And we're not alone. We work in broad partnerships. Uh, so we're putting a lot back into nature. But we need to understand what's the baseline um, that we need to work towards rather than setting arbitrary targets. So I think that's one key element. Don't set arbitrary targets. Understand the context you're working in and work out what's your contribution uh, to what the net positive might mean. That That's the most exciting. But it's also about putting the data in the hands of customers, like I said. So engaging customers in this to really build a conversation with them um, because it's, it's clear that not all customers understand the challenges that exist in producing the their ingredients, their products, um, but many of them uh, are also very willing uh, to support and partner to drive those positive change changes. Uh, so I guess those are the the, the two key elements um, to, that we're really bringing into practice within Olam and, and building on those those years of of, of hard work and, and that foundation that we built with things like the Olam Livelihood Charter that has has sunsetted and now moved into into at source. And uh, sorry, who are your who are Olam? When you talk about customers, who would they be Olam's customers? Who... So, if I, th- I think the easiest way to, to frame it is if uh, if you eat chocolates, one in three chocolate bars will will come from the cocoa that is uh, is sourced by Olam. Uh, we're a major uh, coffee um, uh, trader. Um, we're one of the largest producers of rice. We're one of the largest producers of edible nuts. So all of these things make their way into confectionery um, or, um, or, or various snack bars um, as, as an idea. But then there's a range, of many, a range of many other products as well. So we have about 45 different products across our portfolio. Um, but again, it's uh, a, a variety of products across a variety of geographies, so about 60 different countries, 45 products as mentioned. Um, and we work across the value chain, importantly, as well. Um, but yeah, if, if you are consuming coffee, you are consuming chocolate, um, then chances are um, there'll be a sort of a, an Olam um, handbook handle on the uh, the tiller of how that material uh, found its way into that product. Sure. So tell us a little bit more about you just touched on it then, the living landscapes policy with Olam. And that's, what's that, what's that about basically? Kind of 
preserving mm. the, um, the, the the planet, isn't it really, and not 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 taking too much out, I guess, of the, of the resources. Is that, is that what it? Yeah, in in essence, that's that's it. I think when you you look at particularly the the, the food and agri sector, we're we're dependent on nature, so soil, um, water, um, the, the the health of those ecosystems that we're operating in, we're absolutely dependent on nature. So the living landscape policy is is recognizing that it's not enough just to do less harm we actually need to be looking at, at how do we how do we support a, a, a net positive approach how do we work in balance with the ecosystems and uh, that we're working in where those supply chains are where our farms and plantations are um, and, and actually how do we then start to put more back than we take out because again we cannot keep taking it's a bit like a bank account you can't keep withdrawing at some point you're overdrawn um, and, and then things change in, in terms of your life. If, if you apply that to, to our business, if we keep withdrawing from nature, then those systems will, won't function anymore sufficiently for our business and, importantly, for those other actors involved. So those smallholder farmers involved in those landscapes, if, if we continue to allow those landscapes to erode the value of nature, then the livelihoods of the people on the land will also be impacted in the long term. So it's really a way to put more back, really focus on how we do that in terms of delivering that triple positive um, against our purpose outcomes. So how do we really focus in on delivering prosperous farming systems mm. and prosperous farmers? Yeah. How do we tackle the, the, the challenge of, of social inequity and really drive thriving communities, so thriving rural communities? And then, of course, how do we regenerate the living world? And by tackling and delivering on those three purpose outcomes, um, that in a, is, in essence, uh, the objective of the, the living landscape policy. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I hear this so often from other companies like yourself, uh, uh, suppliers, um, processors. You know, if there's no cocoa trees, for instance, you know, there's no business, is there? If you don't look after the kind of uh, nature and the environment, um, you know, you will come to a point where, you know, the, the, the scarcity of, of resources means, you know, there's a, there's a fundamental lack in, um, in resources for your business. Um, and I think deforestation is coming up quite a lot in, in, your, in your article. Is that your main focus, would you say, Olam, with all the commodities that you do have that that uh, rely, you know, on on a good habitat, a thriving habitat. Is it mm -hmm. deforestation you're looking at closely? It's a very good question. Again, with the range of products that we have, um, there are there are multiple challenges across the various commodities, and it's a it's a combination of environmental challenges and social challenges. It's uh, we we need to appreciate that people are at the heart of the system as, as well as nature. So through the sustain, the corporate responsibility and, and sustainability framework in Olam, um, mm. we're focused on 10 material areas. And so it breaks down fairly evenly between social and environmental. Uh, so for certain products, yes, um, deforestation, land use change is a significant issue. And, and for agriculture and forestry, that sector is, is the largest driver of, of land use change and deforestation. 
So we, we've got to be cognizant of that. It's a material issue for our sector. So we've, we are focusing in on that. So if you take two commodities um, where we've really zoomed in, well, actually three commodities where we've zoomed in, but I'll focus in on two related to a practical piece of work that we do. And that is cocoa and coffee. Um, so big challenges in those landscapes and, and the drivers of, of deforestation are, are many. So a lot of it is, is driven in, in essence by poverty and, and low yields and productivity. Uh, so people converting land to be able to put more uh, productive crops in. Um, so there's, there's a particular challenge there about just tackling um, efficiencies and productivity. But one of the ways that we've, we've really focused in on the problem is, is a tool that we, we've developed internally called the Forest Loss Risk Index. And as with all things sustainability, it has a, an acronym that doesn't really work, FLRI. Um, but this tool is, um, is, is something that we've, we've developed. Um, we've, we've implemented this to, to look at where are we operating? Because again, we, 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 we can't solve every problem everywhere all at once. So we need to understand where are, that, where are those priorities? And the, the, the FLRI, the Forest Loss Risk Index, allows us to do that. So we look at um, where our buying agents are or our buying stations in relation to the landscape um, that, we're, that we're operating in. Um, we look at where has there been historical deforestation? Um, where is there still existing forest? Uh, so I, where is there a risk of continued deforestation? And, and where are we in, in relation to that? And, and, and we, we go through a risk assessment and then we, we go even further down onto the ground. So where we've identified there could be a possibility of continued deforestation in that area, we then go and, and undertake a, a range of actions which are mapping our farmers and then really understanding the situation on the ground. So is it really in the location where, where Olam is operating? And again, satellite technology allows us some insights on that, but there's no, no replacement for really getting onto the ground um, and finding out what the, what the ground truth is. And so it's a combination of, of satellite imagery and then our on the ground expertise and experience and relationships to look at what's happening. And then where that risk still could exist, then put an action plan in to say, okay, what is it we need to do? How do we understand those drivers? And, and then build a, a program of work around that. So a real systematic approach, um, but not waiting for deforestation to happen. It's saying, where is there a likelihood in the future that that could happen? And let's do something proactive about this. But that, again, is just one of many, uh, one of those 10 challenges. So you could look at what are the challenges of, 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 of certain nut products. Uh, if you take hazelnuts as an example, there are challenges there around seasonal and, and migrant labor. Um, there are challenges um, around diversity and inclusion. And how do we really provide better access to, to finance and skills for female farmers. And again, these are exhibited in, in different crops in different parts of the world. So we've really got to look through that, that lens of all 10 and prioritize. Um, and there's, there's no sort of one thing that stands out as this is all we're focused on. 
But yes, there's a, there's a balance and there are different priorities. But for each of those, we're trying to build those practical ways of tackling those challenges and using our expertise and on the ground experience and relationships to, to drive the solutions. And I guess you need, uh, you need to collaborate with, with government, civil society, other businesses, I guess, you know, Olam can't do all of this on its own, can it? I guess that's, that's what I hear from a lot of other companies as well. Um, what, what are the hotspots you're talking about, you know, preventing in the future? What, are there any areas of concern for Olam at the moment or, you know, for anybody, um, you know, concerned about the environment Is the, uh, in terms of deforestation? Is it? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we look in and, and, and take some, some very specific examples, and there was, um, there was a recent report out by an organization called Vivid Economics, um, looking at, at deforestation in, in Cote d'Ivoire, mm. um, looking at deforestation between 2019 and 2020. And there were 68,000 hectares of, of primary forest, um, and 2.2% of, of, of remaining forest was, was lost in, in Cote d'Ivoire. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a real deep picture um, was, was portrayed through that report and again, it's, it's looking at, at that report, taking the work that we're doing on the Forest Loss Risk Index, yeah. uh, and again, taking different sources of information to complement the work that we're doing and helping us to prioritize. So that, that's one specific piece of work. And again, in terms of collaboration that you, you'd mentioned, then looking at the, the work that we're involved in uh, through the Cocoa and Forest Initiative we, with many other actors in the supply chains and, and, and chocolate companies, uh, as well as NGOs, um, to, to look at things at a sectoral level. So how do we drive that systematic change at a, at a sector? And how do we bring in government to have meaningful um, conversations to drive policy change and uh, to really get to the nub of some of the problems that have existed for, for, for decades? Um, but again, it's now um, we, we've got to move more quickly. Um, because of the, I guess, the combination of challenges um, when you look at climate change, when you look at uh, water challenges, again, social inequity. Um, if, if we don't start to act now, then we, we are sort of losing the, the, the race against time um, that, that we need to tackle these challenges within. Um, but again, through the use of satellite imagery, um, on the ground, ground truth in local knowledge, um, local NGOs and partners, it's building up that much more comprehensive picture of what needs to happen and then really getting a, a meaningful collaboration at scale uh, to tackle these challenges. I know you're working, uh, Olam's working with various conservation partners in, in Sumatra, for example, but the, mm. the one I'm interested in as well is the, uh, the Infinity Project in Ghana with the Rainforest Alliance and the P4S, a partnership for forests. Um, could you tell us a little more, a little bit more about that, and what what's its um, what's its goals, and what you know, how, and how, how how it's progressing? Yeah, sure. I mean, really, really excited to. I think the uh, Olam's um, sustainable sourcing platform at Source uh, that you've mentioned has, has really mm. provided us with um, a, a great tool to use to to drive our actions around sustainability and bringing partners. So the, the, uh, the AppSource platform that you mentioned and in Infinity particularly 
I mean, that source, I mean, just to take a step back, was, was first um, floated as an idea by our CEO, Sonny the Geese, yeah. um, in 2017. And, and we, we set a task force up, and I, I was fortunate enough to be part of that task force to develop this digital platform um, to look to connect our customers with our sustainability work. Um, it's based on three tiers. Uh, so with, with providing differing levels of, of information um, to the customer. So the three tiers are entry, which provides country-level information and, and a reassurance um, that we're implementing our, our policies. So things like the OLAM supplier code, um, which is our, 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 our promise with how we're working with our suppliers um, around labor and human rights, as an example. And then the second level is at Source Plus, where we're able to deliver uh, and demonstrate measurable impact. So at that level, we're able to, to link the farmer group all the way through to the customer, at the, the point that they take ownership of that product and provide information all the way down to the farmer group. So over 100 metrics on, on social metrics, environmental metrics, so providing them with a footprint, a carbon footprint, a water footprint, a land footprint based on data from those farmers in, in those farmer groups. And then the third level that you mentioned at Source Infinity is, is really the, uh, the, the level about driving transformational change, uh, which is, is, is where, the, uh, where, where the Ghana project and another project on, on coffee in Peru comes in. So the Ghana project, um, yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's how to incentivize cocoa farmers to protect and restore forest. So again, you can see this, this linkage back to the living landscape policy. And, and actually, when you look at infinity, it also goes back to something that Sonny, our CEO, mentioned um, just before setting up the task force around his expectations. And he wanted Olam to, to change our business. And I, I, I guess you could equate that to that source entry. So, so really, yeah, get a standardized way across that. Um, change the sector so again driving measurable impact so that's that source plus and then then he at the top level said and he wants to change the world and this is the transformational change so you can see how we've taken that challenge and turned it into a an, an actionable uh, platform and the, the ghana piece is really around that so it's taking a long-term view it's working at a community level um to tackle the drivers of deforestation but it's also about providing the economic incentives to, to local farmers and communities to support them to do that because again there's no getting away from the challenges of social inequity um, and, and farmer poverty as, as, as key barriers uh, to delivering some of the environmental improvements so we're working with the farmers and the communities to restore those local landscapes uh, drive improved agricultural practices um, putting new um, cocoa uh, trees in, putting shade trees, fruit trees, forest trees in, um, and, and really boost the economic opportunities for those local farmers. Uh, so we're working uh, to support uh, 10,000 farmers uh, to obviously increase their yields, therefore their incomes, through those more sustainable practices, um, but really building that long-term ecosystem uh, such that yeah the the children of those farmers and and, and their children after them have have got um, a much efficient 
um, higher yielding, hopefully economically uh, sustainable um, farm to take over. So yeah. I guess the three things on the triple positive are uh -huh. protect and regenerate that landscape, support the farmers, and, and boost those economic opportunities. Okay, let's um, let's bring things up to date um, and see see how Oland's um, um, policies can can help with uh, you know the current crisis, COVID nineteen pandemic. You know the uh, UN's mm -hmm. blue program. You know, is, is, is very concerned about the number of people suffering acute hunger by the end of twenty twenty. It's going to double. Yeah. You know, food security is going to be the big kind of uh, topic, isn't it? Conversation and um, it's definitely in the world spotlight. So maybe again, Olam's living landscape policy can 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 help this. Um, what are you doing there, if, if anything, at this stage, or is it something you're going to be looking at as as the uh, you know the pandemic not unfolds, you know, as, as the as the aftermath becomes apparent of you know the, the consequences of what, what's been going on? Um, how how does that fit in, would you say, with with your remit? Yeah, I mean, this is as as with the whole world. This is uh, obviously a, a huge a huge impact. Um, and a, a huge impact for, for people across the entire value chain. Mm. Um, and as, as mentioned earlier, we're working in, in over 60 countries. Many of those countries um, are, are emerging and developing economies uh, with, with some real challenges that have obviously existed well before COVID. But COVID has really um, shone a, a much brighter light on those challenges. So it, it is most directly and severely impacting access to food um, as, as households grapple with the multiple challenges of reduced income, supply chain disruption and increased food prices. Um, and, and it's clear that poorer households are being hit hardest. So whilst I'm sitting here in the UK, yes, we had empty shelves for maybe a week. Um, I, I didn't go hungry. Um, that, that's clear. Um, so, again, social inequity um, really coming out. Poor households are, are being hit hardest. So we're working with, with our, our frontline staff um, and, and frontline staff of other organizations. Um, to, and, and we really, again, as always, got to take our hats off to the people that are putting themselves um, at risk uh, to, to maintain the supply chains for the food that we, we often take for granted. Um, so working with, with people um, to support um, and improve our understanding of what's happening on the ground. We've also committed to over, it's almost $6 million of in-kind and financial aid to date. And there's, there's an array of information on the website. There's a, a huge number of amazing stories uh, from our teams in the origins. Um, so it, it yeah, I mean, it, it could be Singapore, it could be Nigeria, it could be Cote d'Ivoire. Um, you, you can go through into Brazil. Um, amazing stories from amazing people doing great things to, to really um, go beyond the call of duty. Um, also in, in, 2020, in, in July this year, actually, just a, a short while ago, yeah. we surveyed over um, 2,400 smallholder farmers in cocoa, coffee, cashew, um, um, quinoa and chia um, across 18 supply chains in 10 countries uh, to really help us get better insights. So again, using the, the digital reach that we have um, and, and that 
that first mile experience that we have, really being able to connect to farmers, to ask them questions about their food security, how it's impacting their livelihoods, uh, the health of them and their families, um, and also human rights. Um, so, so more than half of those farmers surveyed reported that they'd reduced the food consumption in the prior week. So th this is this is real real impact on on real people that we're starting to understand, and and that's been driven by a multitude of, of factors: um, food prices, shortages, access uh, at local markets. And we found that the cashew farmers in Nigeria, through that survey, um, were, were facing the toughest challenges. Um, but there's there's also a range of other challenges that you, you then start to look at. And I'd mentioned human rights. What does that mean for for children? So if the schools are closed. Um, what does that mean for a farmer if if the the markets are closed, uh, the processing factories are closed? Yes. What are, what are they going to do? Is is that product going to go to waste? What does that mean for their incomes? Mm -hmm. So really building up a, a detailed picture of, of what that looks like um, has been has been key. So as well as the sort of the humanitarian uh, response um, of our teams and our partners, mm -hmm. there's also this practical response now of how do we really um, focus on on the challenges, many of which existed before, um, but really now not shy away from these challenges, allow us to communicate more strongly and more effectively about those challenges. Um, so it, it is an unprecedented opportunity to build new partnerships um, across the sectors with communities and, and, and others to really reimagine those food systems. Um, so, so we're looking at this, yes, it's, it's devastating impacts for many people, um, but we're also looking at how do we take the opportunities out of this and to say, okay, we now can clearly see, visualize, understand, communicate about those challenges and start to build those relationships, hopefully to get to, to the, the bottom of this. And, and that does require a landscape approach. So looping it all the way back to the living landscape policy again, it requires those, those three purpose outcomes, the, the prosperous farmers, the thriving communities, and the regenerating the living world, all to be tackled together if we're going to be able to sort of grow food where people live and work and, and coexist within the ecosystems in which we're operating. Good, thank you. Um, finally, Chris, just a little bit about yourself. Um, you are Olam's Vice President and, and Global Head of, of Environment. Um, how long have you been in that role and what's, what's your background in, in this area? Um, so I'm eight years now with Olam. Right. Um, so background is, um, I'm not quite sure how I ended up in agriculture, if I'm honest. Um, when you look at my, my background, so a chemical engineer by trade, I followed a, a pretty traditional route going into, uh, into chemical industry, waste industry, steel industry. I worked for five years for Toyota, and that really taught me a lot about uh, going to the source to understand the facts. And, and, and again, that really is exemplified through Olam. Um, then I worked in the power sector um, for, for five years, a, a big European uh, power producer. And then I was approached by um, the then global head of, um, of corporate responsibility and sustainability from Olam as, as they were starting, I guess, a new phase, moving from being um, a, a predominantly a trader to really moving into being a farmer, really going back upstream, working with the, the supply chains, being a processor. Um, and what they were offering was just an incredible roller coaster ride of an opportunity to help shape 
um, sustainability in, in what I believe is now genuinely the most exciting sector to, to work in. The challenges are enormous. People need to eat. Um, feed and fiber needs to be produced. Um, and it marries up the environmental and, and social challenges in a way that no other sector does. Um, so enormous challenges, um, but incredibly exciting opportunity and surrounded by just an amazing group of people, both within the sustainability team, but the operational teams and the partners with whom we work. So it's a, a pretty inspiring place to work. Okay, and then finally, your, your thoughts in general in, on the cocoa sector, uh, as in because your, you, your remit covers a lot of other commodities. Uh, not, not, not talking now about Olam's um, specific missions here. Just how, how does cocoa... Does cocoa keep you awake at night? Is it, or is it something that, you know, there are obviously problems within within the uh, supply chains, but um, how, how severe is it compared to other commodities? Do you think do you think we're coming through this as a sector? Do you think things are improving and will we'll get better? Or do you think there's still quite a lot of work to do and collaboration to do? How, what, what's your take on, on, on cocoa specifically, would you say? On cocoa specifically, I think that we've seen the sector really come together around the cocoa and forest initiative and, and really prioritize um, around Cote d'Ivoire and, and Ghana. And so, like okay, we, eight, ten years, would you say? Or? Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and there's been a, a, a gradual increase yeah. in, in people understanding what the challenges are. Practically, what does it take to tackle those and how to build the collaborations, the, the partnerships uh, to, to implement that? And again, if I just look at the, the um, year on year on year, how our own teams have worked and, and year on year on year, how um, the, the, the competition and, and our customers have, have worked on COCO. Um, so we, we're now at a stage where at a sectoral level, um, there's a real focus on what those challenges are, what do we need to do, how do we do it. Um, so a clear sort of pathways to solutions um, have, have been created. So now it's, it's about executing and it's about taking everybody along with us. So it's about involving the farmers, the communities. It's about involving um, the, the politicians, the regulators, as, as well as the NGOs. So I guess wrapping it up nicely, it, it really is about collaboration. Olam or a, a cocoa company on their own isn't going to solve this problem. Um, these are these are landscape level challenges that we, we have to face and, and, and address. Um, so really taking um, what we've what we've developed over the years, culminating in the living landscape policy and, and at source plus and at source infinity and, and driving those changes into the heart of our business. Um, I'm, I'm really positive about the future. I'm not uh, ignoring the scale of those challenges and the need for um, some of those challenges still to be overcome, um, but feeling really positive about that. But Coco, it's, it's, it's I guess, not something that I, I keeps me up solely at night. There's a multitude of, of challenges. And I think the challenges for me are, are really, it's not one product. It's really about how do we drive that landscape scale change? Uh -huh. And what does it take to bring multiple parties, um, often with, with conflicting points of view and needs together to, to find a common, common pathway through it? 
I think that's the thing that keeps me awake at night about how do we keep doing more? How do we drive greater scale? Um, how do we really build that shared responsibility? Um, and, and how do we really drive that system transformation? And I, I guess that also the one other partner who I didn't mention, and maybe this is what does keep me up at night, is how do we bring in more effectively the, the financial sector into this conversation? And I think through some of the work that we've been able to do and, and many others, you, you see the financial sector now really starting to catalyze change yes. and starting to see the ability that if they engage it's with these conversations around sustainability, how we can really drive change at scale. Um, so I'm, I'm really encouraged, but there needs to be a, a lot more from the finance sector. But there's some great financial uh, companies out there and organizations out there uh, that are, are really challenging the status quo. Um, so yes, that's the bit that keeps me awake at night because I see that as the key catalyst of change um, if we're going to deliver that landscape level change. Good. Well, that is a, that, that's a great um, um, point to, to, to stop at. And it also leads us into a great um, follow-up conversation we can have. You know, we can maybe... Um, get together again six months time 12 months time and just see what the landscape is is on the, on those issues and and all the other work that, that you've been doing and see how the cocoa sector in general has has developed um i think you i think you're right i think it's going you know in the right way i think there's still a lot of work to be done and yeah the work the world cocoa foundation for instance you know trying putting together financial packages and talking to banks as well i think that's quite crucial in the future as well as you know work that big companies like Olam are doing as well so Chris thank you very much for your for your time and your insight and your, your thoughts it's been a real pleasure um, speaking to you and we look forward as I say to to following up you know, sometime in the future and see seeing um, how things how things stand uh, post-covid thank you Anthony it's been yeah thank you for your time it's, it's been great to uh uh, to have the opportunity to sort of uh, talk about uh, some of the things that, that our, our people in the, in the teams on the ground are doing, the challenges that the, the sector faces, um, because I think that's also a, another key area. We've, we've really got to let people know, be transparent about what those challenges are and how we're tackling them, um, really let people know what it will take uh, to change the, the, the food and agricultural system that they rely on. Good. Okay, Chris, thank you very much. Thanks, Anthony.